As Disney talked with the children about the tattoos and the, the scriptures that we've been studying the last couple of weeks, it's a reminder of last week's scripture when God promised through Jeremiah that he would give a new covenant to the people of Israel, that it would no longer be something that, that was carried around in a box that was placed inside the tabernacle, but it would be something that was written on their hearts like a tattoo. We've spent these last few weeks thinking about the Israelites being in exile in Babylon, that hope for a future of return to Jerusalem. It lasted several generations that they were in exile before they were able to return. And then they had to return to a new place. Yes, it was their, their, their homeland. It was the promised land that, that their um, ancestors had lived in. But it was new to them. They had to begin to rebuild their community. They had to begin to rebuild their temple. But in the midst of all of that, we were reminded again and again and again that, yes, there is a future with hope, but we also have to live in the now, in the present. As Jeremiah had told them in exile, you have to assimilate because you're going to be here a while. And then when you return, you have to reassimilate into that place. Life is that process of exile and return, but it's what you do in the midst of being and finding yourself in those different places. You dream of that, that future hope of, of what can be, of what God is doing in your life, but you can't live your life dreaming it away. You have to lay the groundwork in the here and now, living into that covenant that God has written on each and every one of our hearts. I think for so many human beings, our natural desire is to love other people and to be loved in return. We live in this culture of what you might call a self-help culture. We're always trying and striving to, to be a better version of ourselves. If we can be a better version of ourselves, we will be found to be worthy. We will be found to be respected. You can buy self-help books on most any topic, weight loss, how to organize your life, how to clear out your email quickly so that you can get on to the important matters of the day. You can buy a self-help book on how to be a stronger leader, how to be a better parent or a better spouse. You can buy self-help books on how to find and how to create happiness in your life because sometimes we find ourselves not feeling all that happy. It's a struggle for a lot of us as we, we do strive to make ourselves better because we think that in making ourselves better that people will love us more. We all have that deep desire for love, to be cared for, to feel worthy, to feel like we, we have a sense of belonging and to feel like we're just simply not alone trying to find our way through this world. When we find those connections with other people, whether it's through friendships, whether it's through a spouse, whether it's through family, whether it's through a parent and child relationship, however it is you find those relationships and those connections, you begin to feel like, you know what, maybe I'm not alone in this world. But when you come to know Christ, you truly realize you're not alone. Yes, we find relationships with other people, but we have to work to find that relationship, to cultivate that relationship with Christ, to see that there's something deeper going on in our lives, to see that, that there's a cosmic reality that is greater than all of us, that we are connected 
to something that is greater than all of us. We are connected to the very thing that created each and every one of us. And when you come to that realization, you realize that it makes you want to live differently. It makes you live your life differently. It, it helps you to love and to look at other people and to understand people differently. It makes you act differently in the world because it truly, deep down within you, changes your life. Our Methodist founder, John Wesley, he believed in different types of grace. He had different words for the different stages of, of grace and the stages of faith. The first one was provenient grace. It's, it's a big, like, $5 word. If you ever want to use it in Scrabble, I would be very impressed if you could use provenient in Scrabble. But if you think about what provenient grace is, it's the grace of God working in your life before you're ever even aware that God exists or that God is even working in your life. People, once they come to, a, to faith and they come to a relationship in Christ, when they look back over the course of their life, over the events of their life, over deep and meaningful moments, they begin to recognize God was there all along. God was there working and moving in my life before I even knew that God was working and moving. God was loving me and helping me to become this person of faith and this person who knows Christ. The second stage of grace is justifying grace. It's that moment in time when you truly accept God's free gift of grace, that you know that there's no strings attached, that God loves you no matter what, that all your sins are forgiven. It's a pretty remarkable moment in the life of most people. And then comes what I think is probably the most challenging phase of grace. It's that sanctifying grace. Once you've said yes to Christ in that moment of justification and you begin to work towards sanctification, it's a lifelong journey. It's not a one and done, okay, I believe in Christ, I'm good, I don't have to do anything else. No, sanctification calls us into a deeper relationship. It calls us into a life of prayer. It calls us into to truly living into that great command of loving God and loving our neighbor no matter what of working to become a better person, not because culture tells us that we have to become a better person, but of working to love others, of working on ourselves, of realizing that God loves us so much that God made a covenant with us to say, I am with you always. I care for you, and I love you. We begin through sanctification. We, we begin to strive for what Wesley would have called a holiness of heart, and a holiness of life. It's this personal and this social holiness. It's working on ourselves, but then also living that among others, of carrying that forth into our daily lives so that when people see us, when people get to know us, they realize there's something different about her. There's something different about him. The way that they live their life is based on, on a different kind of principle, a different kind of values, on a way of love and a way of care and a way of justice and a way of mercy. When you do what Paul instructed the Philippians to do, just as we live into that letter that he wrote as well to us, we begin to put on the mind of Christ. And when you put on the mind of Christ, it's almost as if you begin to imitate the ways of Christ. Christ lived a life of humility but he also lived a life of conviction, 
a life of welcome, a life of embrace. He didn't regard others. He didn't regard himself as better than others. But he held everyone with high esteem because he knew that each and every person is a beloved child of God. And he knew that each and every person, each and every human being that he encountered deserved to live life and to live it abundantly. To know that unconditional love, that unconditional grace that God offers everyone. And when you begin to live life abundantly, because you know Christ and because you are different as a result of that, you begin to put your faith into action. In the the letter to James, he writes that we are not only to be hearers of the word. Yes, we need to read the word. Yes, we need to hear it spoken and, and proclaimed. But we also have to be doers of the word. That's what it means to put your faith into action. You can't hear the words of Jesus and think, that guy was pretty great, and then not do something about it. You can't hear the Sermon on the Mount and not be convicted to go and live it, to be salt and light for other people. You can't witness the the justice of of healing ministry that, that Jesus did. You can't listen to those stories and those parables and all the things that he did and then not be led to go and do the same. That's what it means to be a doer of the word, to follow Jesus' lead and then to go forth and to help and to serve others. Faith and works, those two things, they they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. We can't live our lives saying that we believe and then not doing something about it. When you don't live a life of faith and put that into action, it gives meaning to those popular phrases, oh, she's just all talk and no action. Just don't worry, she's going to spout off for a while, but then she's not going to do anything or, or put anything behind it. Or they're just giving lip service, but, but there's no meat behind it. There's no foundation behind it. Now, we have to be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word, to live that life of faith and to show others what it means to have an abundant life. When I look across my life, I've known some great doers throughout my life. Those people that that went about doing things for others. Most of the time, it was quietly, and it was just because I happened to be paying attention at the moment that I noticed the, the thing that they were doing to help someone else or to show love to somebody who needed it in that moment. Some of the great doers that I've known across my life are sitting right here among us today. You go about your faith quietly and humbly, loving others, serving others, giving of yourself so that others can know Christ in a great way. You're finding ways to feed the homeless. You are encouraging children through after-school activities. You're checking in on folks on the prayer list. Just as Larry mentioned, getting a church directory and checking in on those folks and letting them know that you care. Sometimes, though, when you hear the word sanctification and you hear what you're supposed to do with sanctification or what it is, some people get a little scared and a little nervous by that. They begin to think, I don't know if if I can truly pull this off. Jesus was perfect. There's no way that I can ever live up to the ways of Jesus. The bar is just too high, so if I can't live up to it, why should I even try? 
that's part of who we are as human beings. We have those, those doubts in the midst of our faith. When, when we sin, we feel that guilt and we begin to doubt our worthiness, whether we're even worthy of God's love and, and of the sacrifice that Christ made. Because sin, at the end of the day, is a very powerful contagion. It's something that, that can eat you up from within. And our culture tends to feed into that these days. We do live in very tur turbulent and vitriolic times. When I look around, sometimes I wonder, where is the grace? Where is the mercy? Where is the love? Where is the compassion? And it begins to make life, living a life of holiness rather difficult because we wonder who else is going to join us. But part of that process of sanctification is in the trying again and again and again, knowing that sometimes we are going to fail. Sometimes we are going to sin and we're going to fall short of the glory of God. But we have to remember that it's in the trying that we move forward. It's in the trying that others see the light of Christ within us. It's in the recognizing that, yes, maybe I did screw up, but, but God is going to forgive that and encourage me to keep going and to keep trying again and again and again. you got to think about sanctification kind of like a continuum over time. It's not something that, that you're necessarily going to achieve all perfection. You might achieve it for a moment, and then you have to keep trying again and again and again because we all can't stay in that place of perfection. John Wesley recognized that and said as much. But if you look at it as a continuum where you have high moments and then low moments, but you keep moving through those highs and those lows, you're, you're moving forward. You're not going around a roller coaster that goes the same way over and over again. You're moving forward in that continuum of faith. You're moving forward in that process of sanctification, always growing, always learning, always improving, always developing that deeper relationship with Christ. When you think about sanctification, you can kind of think about it like a pilgrimage of faith. But the beauty of the pilgrimage of faith is that we don't have to do it alone. Part of the beauty of the exile and the return when you read those scriptures is that they were never alone in either place. They were not alone in exile. God was with them. They also had each other. And when they returned to Jerusalem, God was with them and they had each other. That's what it means to be a part of a bigger community of faith. Together, we have a future with hope. And together, we have a present that is built on hope. As we look towards that future, we are laying the groundwork. We hope for what can happen now in our midst, and we hope for what can happen to come with God working through us. When I look back over 2021, I see so many amazing things that have happened in the life of this church. And I'll be honest, when we started 2021, I didn't know what the year had to hold. Usually I kind of think, okay, this is where we're going in the coming year, but the pandemic threw all of, all of that out of whack for me. But when I look back now over 2021, I realize we gradually reopened the church to in-person worship. Easter Sunday, we began on the lawn. We worked our way back into the sanctuary as we worked to get safety protocols into place. We fed around 50 Avondale school families 
on a weekly and now a monthly basis. We've fed around 80 families through our food cooperatives. We've provided space for those in recovery from addiction to be able to come here for AA meetings. We've provided funds for our social workers who do some pretty amazing things on a regular basis. They've helped homeless people to find housing. They've helped people who are at risk of losing their homes to be able to keep them. They've helped people develop plans to get back on their feet financially. They've even helped people to get out of abusive situations and into safe houses that could help them to grow and to get out of those terrible relationships. We've provided an after-school recreational program for our school children thanks to a partnership with UAB. All of that happened in the midst of a pandemic. Things that, that, that God planned for our congregation before we even knew what those things were. And I do believe in 2022 that there's more to come with that. I have hope that those ministries and missions will continue, that people will continue to grow deeper in their relationship with Christ, and that people will come to know Christ through the actions of each and every one of us here, of those that are worshiping virtually with us, of those who are touched by our congregation, that people will come to know the love of Christ through our community of faith. Today, November 21st, we have 20 pledges so far for 2022. Some of those are first-time pledges for the year, and, and all 20 of them are to be celebrated. Last year, we had 34 pledges, and I encourage those of you who haven't yet pledged to prayerfully consider how it is that you can give of yourself. Some people can give financially. Some people can give of their time. Some people can give of both. But however it is that, that you can pledge of yourself, know that it helps us to plan for the future. It helps us to plan for the ways in which God can work through this congregation to be a light on our street corner and even beyond into our neighborhood. You can find the QR code in your bulletin to make a pledge. You can go online. You can email our, our bookkeeper, Jeannie Baker, or me to make your pledge. However it is that you feel most comfortable doing so, I hope that you will think about what you can give in 2022 because no gift is too big or too small. I truly do look forward to seeing what God has in store for us as we move forward built on hope. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, we truly do give you thanks. God, we give you thanks for life. We give you thanks for family. We give you thanks for friends. God, we give you thanks for your love that binds us together. And especially this day, we give you thanks that you call us your beloved. That you welcome each and every one of us as your children. Holy God, may we be found faithful as we follow you. Guide us to be more than hearers of your word. Guide us to be doers, to put our faith into action. Help us to be quick to listen to the needs and the hurts of others. Help us to be slow to speak when words are not needed, but when compassion and action are. And especially God, help us to be slow to anger so that we may be open to your righteousness and to your work in our lives.
Great God, we pray today for those in our world who are hurting, for those who find themselves in harm's way. We pray for those recovering from natural disasters. We pray for refugees who are seeking a better life for their families. We pray for those who are fighting for justice. We pray for loved ones who are sick and homebound. We pray for ourselves in the struggles that we face. Strengthen each and every one of us, O oh God. May we all feel your tender presence working and moving among us. And great God, as we seek your wisdom and your will, we pray now the prayer that your Son, our Savior, taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.